Chapter One, Part Three of Commentary in the Gospel of John, Book Nine, by Cyril of Alexandria, translated by Reverend Thomas Randall. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. For observe how we who constantly strive after conformity with God do, so to say, render ourselves worthy of fellowship with Him, not in such ways as these, but in certain other ways. For when we show pity to one another, are ardently devoted to works of love, and practice all that is truly respectable in our ordinary life, even then we can hardly venture to pronounce ourselves in God. And John is our witness, saying, Hereby know we that we are in him. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also to walk even as he walked. And again, As for you, he says, let that abide in you which ye heard from the beginning. For if that which ye heard from the beginning abide in you, ye also shall abide in the Son and in the Father. And what he means by that which ye heard from the beginning, which he bids to remain in us in order that we may be in God, he himself will make no less clear to us when he says, For this is the command which ye heard from the beginning, that ye should love one another. Thou hearest how we are in God, namely, by practicing love one towards another, and striving to the utmost of our power to walk in the footsteps of our Saviour, imitating his virtue. When I say virtue, I do not mean such as was shown by him in being able to create heaven, and make angels, and set fast the earth, and spread out the sea nor that which he exhibited when in his ineffable and simple majesty by a word he lulled the violence of the winds and raised up the dead and graciously bestowed sight on the blind and with great authority bade the leper be cleansed but rather that virtue which may be suitable to the capacities of our humanity we shall find him as indeed paul says reviled by the unholy jews yet not reviling again. Instead of that, we see him suffering, yet not threatening, but rather committing himself to him that judgeth righteously. Again, we shall find him saying, Learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. So then, when we strive by such conduct as this to imitate Christ, who is our guide unto all virtue, we are said to abide both in the father and in him obtaining this distinction as a reward and compensation for the worthiness of our life but the son does not wish us to estimate in this way the brilliance that is inherent in him he bids us direct our natural shrewdness of attention to the magnificence of his miracles and infer from thence the exact resemblance which he has to his own father so that henceforth we may believe that, as they are consubstantial, it is thus that he has in himself the one who begat him, and that he himself is also in the Father. Or let our opponents come forward and teach, that when the Son is conceived of as being in the Father, he too in common with ourselves has this distinction as a reward, and as a fair payment for conducting his life according to the law of the gospel but i suppose that even this appears to them nothing dreadful 
for to men by whom no form of talking is unpractised what expression however extravagant and monstrous seems unfit for use it is possible therefore that they will say even this that the son is in the father and again has also the father in himself on this account namely because he fashions himself like to the father by practising the virtues that are also attainable by us and we would reply why then honoured sirs when philip said lord show us the father did not the christ put forward all the holy apostles as a likeness and accurate representation of him whom they meant and say have we all been so long time with one another and dost thou not know the father whereas he does not associate with himself a single one of the others but comparing himself alone to the father alone he passes over our attributes as small matters altogether and not willing that the divine essence should be thought accurately imaged in human attributes he has reserved to himself alone the perfection of resemblance for he says he that hath seen me hath seen the father then to these words he straightway added believe that i am in the father and the father is in me for seeing that he possesses resemblance in the most absolute exactness he must as a necessary consequence possess in himself the father and be possessed so to speak by the father for think of something of the same kind and accept it as an illustration of the words we are considering if for instance any one were by chance to bring into our presence the son of abraham or of any other man and then were to question him as to the nature of his parent desiring to learn precisely who and what kind of person the parent was would not the youth employ reasonable language if he were to point to his own nature and say he that hath seen me hath seen my father i am in my father and my father is in me then as a proof of his speaking the truth would it not be fitting that he should draw attention to the identity with his father exhibited in his human doings and his physical peculiarities and say believe me for the very work's sake seeing that i have all the qualities and can perform all the actions which pertain to human nature indeed i think every one will say and will justly allow both that he speaks the truth and that in alleging the identity he puts forward an accurate indication of the relationship involved in their particular actions why then do not they who pervert such things as are right persuade their own disciples to travel on the straight path of reasoning instead of thrusting them off from the well-trodden king's highway and taking an untrodden and rugged route both deceiving themselves and destroying those who feel it their duty to follow them we however not taking their road will keep along the direct path and giving credit to the sacred scriptures we believe that the son who is in his nature begotten of god the father is of equal strength and consubstantial with the father and essentially his image and therefore that he is in the father and the father in him twelve thirteen verily verily i say unto you 
he that believeth on me the works that i do shall he do also and greater works than these shall he do because i go unto the father and whatsoever ye shall ask in my name that will i do that the father may be glorified in the son if any one should think to discourse hereon commensurately with the extent of the meaning of what is here submitted to us the task would be broad and deep but if we consider what is rather profitable for the hearers we shall think it beseems us to grasp in general wise the thing signified and to curtail the length of our discourse for so would the meaning be most easy to be received by most men so then wishing to show forth that he was consubstantial with his own father and that he is a very image of him carried in the father as in an archetype albeit having the archetype in himself as being a very image both naturally and essentially and not in virtue of any shaping which implies a process of moulding and fashioning for the divinity transcends shape inasmuch as it is incorporeal withal i he says am in the father and the father is in me but to the end that we may not look for the identity of the resemblance and the exact conformity thereof in any other sort than as a conclusion from those prerogatives alone that attach to his nature for it was possible therefrom to see that the similarity is essential and natural he says or else believe by reason of the works for indeed he very rightly thought that of a surety if any man beheld him radiant with the like mighty works to those of god the father he would accept him for a really natural image and likeness of his essence for not save what is naturally of god would ever do equivalent deeds to those of god nay neither could the power to work wonders on any wise in equal measure with the divine nature come to belong to any created thing for utterly unapproachable and beyond reach to them that have been called into being out of nothing are the proper excellences of the eternal and in no wise was it likely that any would doubt that the saviour's saying would be utterly irreproachable at least in the eyes of the right-minded yet as god he was not ignorant that even what was well said would be to them that held opposite opinions an occasion and a pretext for strange teaching with intent then that no place for loquacity might be left herein for them that pervert such things as are right and lest they should say it was not of his imminent might nor of his own power that the son became a worker of wonders but only inasmuch as he had within him the father doing the works on this account as he himself said and insisted the lord when need arose courted them with words that might allure their minds for he promises herein that he will be to them that believe on him a supplier of what things soever they will ask and promises that he will supply to them not merely an equal power and authority but the same with increase for greater things he says than i have done shall he do seest thou then how we cut short and profitably so the boldness of our opponents and by his refutations of error reigns in men as it were when they are rushing over precipices 
for any one will say to them o fools and blind whereas ye suppose the son to have been able to effect nothing of himself but rather to have been supplied by the father with the power and authority for all those things that have been wondrously accomplished how does he promise that he will grant to them that believe on him to effect even greater things how shall another by borrowing the power from him effect what he has not done himself for notice that he has not said herein that the father will supply power to them that believe but whatsoever ye shall ask in my name i will do it but he who as god imparts to others the power to effect even those greater things how could he have been himself supplied with the power by another so that what they say is utter nonsense and thoughtless trash and inventions of a devilish perversity but no man would contemplate the power of the son as in any wise limited nor as extending to one thing but insufficient to reach things still greater nay but as doing easily whatsoever it will and bestowing on the worthy the power to glory in thrones it may be of equal honour or it may be even more highly exalted and let no one suppose us to say that any of those who have set store by their faith in him will ever have such an excessive power as to be able to fashion a heaven or to make a sun and a moon or the brilliant choir of the stars or peradventure to create angels or an earth or such things as are therein for the aim of his words is not directed towards these things but is bent upon the things whereon it was reasonable that so it should be and he overpasses not the measure of the splendour that beseems mankind in glory to it and holiness for surely it is for this cause by way of restraining his words from ranging as it were whithersoever a man might desire and of confining himself to those wondrous works which he did while on earth after he became man when he draws the contrast with the greatness of the still greater deeds that he says he shall do the things which i have done and greater things than these for it was not because he was too weak to accomplish the greater things that he held back his own power within the bounds of the things which he accomplished but when he has done what was needful and all perchance for which opportunity offered he kindly gives us to understand by these words that the reach of the incomprehensible greatness of his imminent power is not limited to those things but to the end that preserving the order of the thoughts presented to us we may set the minds of our hearers on the contemplation of his utterance we will repeat that he says verily i say unto you he that believeth on me the works that i do shall he do also and greater works than these shall he do because i go unto the father then what is this one of the hearers might say with some reason i mean the son's going to the father in order that they who believe on him may be able to effect things even still greater than the deeds exhibited by himself surely the saying introduces some hidden subject for contemplation to learn what it is that he says consider him as perhaps meaning o ministers and genuine pupils of my words so long as i abode with you on the earth 
and had my conversation as a man i did not exhibit the power of the godhead undimmed before you i both spake and acted as befitted the measure of my humiliation and the condition of a slave but thereafter when those things have been beseemingly accomplished then also will the mystery of the dispensation in the flesh be completed for me for almost immediately i shall suffer death and shall rise to life again and i promise to then bestow on you the power to accomplish works still greater than my own miracles and the time for this is even now at hand and so is the glory of their accomplishment for i am going to the father that is to sit down with him and to reign with him as god of god in unveiled power and authority and in the fullness of my own nature to give good things unto my friends whatsoever ye shall ask he says in my name i will do it when the time has been completed wherein it was necessary he says that i should show myself in the garb of humiliation i have observed all that was requisite to the proper carrying out of the scheme of the incarnation and now henceforth i promise that unveiledly as god i will work the works of god not thrusting out the father from the glory so god befitting but with intent that he may be glorified in the son for if the offspring is glorified the parent also shall assuredly be glorified in him for the son being ever in his nature god would have been declared by many other signs yet no less also is he disclosed by receiving the prayers of the saints and granting them whatsoever they might ask and wish how then should not the father be glorified in him for like as he would have been grievously blamed and naturally so if the offspring that came forth from him had not been in his nature god in like manner he will be exceeding glorious in that he has for the fruit that came forth from his essence one who is god and can skill so well to do all things and to enable others to do them but if it tends to the glory of the father that the son should be seen possessed of god befitting prerogatives what manner of punishment shall fasten upon the heretic forasmuch as he dreads not to disparage him with shameless blasphemies and diverse manners and i will further say another thing in no small measure as i deem at issue with their crude ignorances for if we pray to the son and seek our petitions from him and he pledges his promise to grant them how could it be that he is not by nature god and begotten of one who is in his nature god for if they conceive him not so to be and say that he was created how shall we any longer be distinguished from those who invoke the sun or the heaven or any other of the creatures for if exceeding mischievously ashamed of the ungainliness of their own folly they say that albeit a creature equally with the rest of the creatures yet he hath a certain incomparable supereminence over all notwithstanding let them be assured that none the less will they outrage the glory of the father that is the son so long as ever they say that he is one in the number of things that have been made for the issue is not whether he is haply a great or a small creature but whether he is a creature at all 
and is not rather in his nature god which indeed is the truth fourteen if ye shall ask anything in my name that will i do undisguisedly now he says that being very god he will accept exceeding readily the prayers of his own people and will supply right gladly what things soever they desire to receive meaning of course spiritual gifts and such as are worthy of the heavenly munificence and not as the minister of another's benevolence nor yet as subserving another's kindness does he say such things but as with the father having all things in his power and as himself being the one through whom are all things both from us to godward and to usward from him for this cause paul also prays on behalf of the worthy for such supplies of benefits as are by him ever mentioned in conjunction in the following words grace to you and peace from god our father and the lord jesus christ and surely no man in his senses will ever in the face of this suppose that the father by himself separately grants a grace and again the son by himself separately and as it were in turn does so but the grace is one and the same albeit it is spoken of as coming through both notwithstanding it is by the father through the son that all good things are wrought for the worthy and the distribution of the divine gifts is made through the son i say not as accepted in the rank of a servant as we have already explained but as conceived to be co-giver and co-supplier and moreover as being so of a truth for the nature of the godhead is one and also is believed so to be for although it is extended to the father and son and to the holy spirit yet it has no absolute and entire severance i mean into each of the persons indicated for we shall be orthodox in believing that the son is naturally both of the father and in the father and that the own spirit of the father and of the son that is the holy spirit is both of and in the father so then forasmuch as the godhead of their nature both is and is conceived of as one their gifts will be supplied to the worthy through the son from the father in the spirit and our offerings will be carried to god manifestly through the mediation of the son for no one cometh unto the father but through him as to be sure he also himself fully confesses so then the son both has become and is the door and the way as well of our friendship as of our progress toward god the father and the co-giver as well as distributor of his bounty forasmuch as it proceeds from a single and common munificence for one is the nature of the godhead in the person and substance both of the father and of the son and of the holy ghost and forasmuch as it was unwanted in a way with them of old time and as yet foreign to their practice to approach the father through the son he teaches this also for our profit and laying first in his own disciples a foundation as it were of the structure he implants in them both faith in this and knowledge and dispatches to ourselves instruction both how we are to pray and wherein lies our hope 
for he promises that he will himself give us what we ask in prayer a proof of the godhead in his nature and of the royal authority inherent in him adding this to the other proofs thereof fifteen if ye love me keep my commandments having ordained that when men pray they must ask in his name and promising that he will himself supply to them that ask whatsoever they desire to receive he takes great thought not to seem to speak falsehood having in view the unholy slanders of such as are wont to be captious for a man can see and best out of the sacred writings themselves that some approach and ask earnestly in his name and notwithstanding in no wise receive because god is not ignorant of what is fitting for each and profitable for the askers therefore to the end that our lord jesus the christ might clearly exhibit who they are in reference to whom the word has been spoken and stands good and to whom is due the grace of the promise he straightway introduced the mention of the persons who love him in whose case the promise will assuredly be fulfilled and conjoins with his saying the exactly defined keeper of the law showing that unto such and not unto others shall the promise of kindness and the bestowal of the spiritual blessings hold good and come to pass for that oftentimes the bounteous hand of god is shortened in hesitation cutting off from them that will not ask aright the consummation of their hopes thou wilt easily understand from what the disciple of christ is at pains to write on this wise ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss when ye will spend it in your pleasures whereas also again he says about them that are wont to be double-minded for let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the lord for he is a double-minded man unstable in all his ways for to them that ask for the grace that is from above not for establishing of virtue but for enjoyment of carnal pleasure and worldly lust god will nigh shuts fast his ear and in no wise grants them anything for what things soever he forbids and wholly cast out by reason of the abomination that is in them how could he grant them to any and the spring of all sweetness how could it give forth a bitter stream but that unto the lovers of spiritual gifts with rich and readiest hand he distributes blessings thou shalt easily perceive when thou hearest him saying unto them by the mouth of isaiah the prophet while thou art yet speaking i will say what is it and by the voice of the psalmist the eyes of the lord are upon the righteous and his ears are open unto their prayer so having determined and expressly declared that the enjoyment of the heavenly blessings supplied that is through him by the father is both due to them that love him and in very truth shall be theirs he straightway goes on to describe the power of love and instructs us excellently and irreproachably for our profit with intent that we should devote ourselves to the pursuit thereof for albeit a man say that he loves god he will not therefore straightway win the credit of truly loving forasmuch as the power of virtue stands not in bare speech nor is the beauty of piety towards god fashioned in naked words 
but rather it is really distinguished by means of good deeds effected and an obedient temper and the keeping of the divine precepts best gives living expression to love towards the divinity and presents the picture of a virtue wholly living and true not sketched out in mere sounds that flow from the tongue as we have said but gleaming as it were and altogether radiant with brilliant colours to wit the portraits of good works and indeed our lord jesus the christ shows us this plainly when he says not every one that saith unto me lord lord shall enter into the kingdom of heaven but he that doeth the will of my father which is in heaven for the proof of faith lies not in barren words or professions but in the qualities of acts and indeed the holy scripture says that it is dead when the works do not follow therewith for the knowledge that god is one it says we shall find not only in human minds but in the unclean devils themselves who also shudder even involuntarily at the power of him that made them howbeit to keep the radiance of their acts concurrent with their faith is manifestly the beauty and ornament of those only who truly love god so then the proof of love and the most perfect definition of faith is the observance of the evangelic decrees and the keeping of the divine precepts and perhaps it would be in no wise difficult to add other things hereunto akin in their drift only that i suppose they do not suit the present occasion wherefore we must once more betake ourselves to such points as are more suitable to what lies before us if ye love me he says ye will keep my commandments for indeed thou must understand once again and call well to mind that oftentimes when conversing with his own disciples or even with the jews themselves he would say the words that i speak are not mine but his who sent me and again i speak not from myself but the father which sent me he hath given me a commandment what i should say and what i should speak and again the things therefore which i speak are not mine but his who sent me and yet now again notwithstanding as confessed at large up and down his discourses that the words he addressed to us are god the father's he here says they are his own commandments which he has spoken to us and no one that has sense will suppose that he speaks falsely for let not this thought come into the mind of a christian and moreover he will of course speak truly forasmuch as he is himself the truth for it was not in the manner of one of the prophets as if with the rank of a minister and a servant that he conveyed the message from the father to us but as bearing such likeness to him that not even in the word was he haply observed to differ but rather naturally to speak on such wise as the father himself might peradventure talk with us for the exact similarity of essence leads us to believe that the son also corresponds in his utterances to him that begat him and inasmuch as he is himself the word and wisdom and purpose of god the father he says that he has received commandment what to say and what he shall speak for we also ourselves individually see that our own minds well nigh even lay a commandment on our speech uttered through words as it proceeds to the world without 
that it shall interpret what is in the mind itself small indeed is the force of the illustration as applied to god but notwithstanding this by taking the analogy of human things to assure us of the things that transcend them we apprehend the divine mysteries as it were in a mirror and darkly End of chapter one part three